0: In the Bible, to Ze- Zechariah, Zechariah chapter four. In the uh, considered the minor prophets, and whenever you hear minor prophets, I know this is kind of our series that we've doing, majoring in the minors. It's not minor in importance; it's just minor in size. They're not as l- lengthy as the other prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but uh, every bit as much important. Uh, Pastor Dave Barnes opened our series in uh, Zechariah last week, uh, last Wednesday, and tonight we're going to be looking at four chapters, four through six. I titled this message "When God Builds the House." You can understand why as we're going to be going through the When God builds the house, um, let me just share a, a little uh, background stuff for you. Uh, Zechariah was a prophet. His name, uh, his name means. Yahweh remembers. And what's he going to remember? What does God remember? He remembers his people. Because this is a period of time after the Babylonians had taken the people of Israel into exile. They'd gone to Babylonia. Uh, They uh, then were taken over by the Medo-Persians. And they were allowed to come back to Israel after 70 years of captivity. So they came back to Israel. And there were some people that hadn't been deported, but... Um, basically most of the people were deported, especially anybody who had any importance and, and so forth. So they started to come back. They kind of trickled back, and they came to Jerusalem. And the first thing they wanted to do was rebuild the temple because the Babylonians had destroyed the temple. It was in ruins. And they, they did this. They wanted to do this before the wall. If you were here this, fall, this past fall, um, Myself and Brian, we did a a teaching series through the book of Nehemiah. That was Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls. That came later. Zechariah was at the time of where they were rebuilding the temple, and that took place first. And the temple will actually be rebuilt before the walls will be. But there was a time of these people came, and they got really discouraged. And there was two main leaders at this time. There was Zerubbabel. Say that a number of times. Zerubbabel was like the civic leader, so he was like the, the top engineer, the leader of rebuilding the temple, and then there was Joshua, he was uh, the priest, and later on, uh, Ezra is going to come as well as a, as a priest, as a, uh, a minister at that time, so that's kind of the historical time, um, and Zechariah being a prophet, he was there at this time, and he received these prophecies to help the struggling Israelites as they're building, rebuilding their temple. And he received eight visions that are in this book. Eight visions. On a restless night, On we know the exact date because it was, it was mentioned in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. And it was February 15th, 519 B.C. He had a restless night. And you know the... The difference between a vision and a dream, don't you? These were visions. Um, A dream happens while you're sleeping. A vision happens while you're awake. But either one can come from the Lord. And in this particular case, God has given this prophet these, these images, these pictures, these visions, not for himself, but to share with a group of people or with leaders. They were meant to encourage these people that had been struggling and so forth. And then later on as we go further into this book, after chapter 7, it's going to be followed by four messages that he preached on December 7th, about two years later, Uh, and so that was part of it. Now, another little part of the background that it's always good for us to understand as we go through these Old Testament books, sometimes people think, well, the Old Testament, that's, you know, we don't need that, we just want to stay in the New Testament, right? Right? In the Old Testament, we learned that God always wanted a people to fellowship with. And He wanted a place to meet with His people. And in the early days, it was the tabernacle. It was the meeting place, sometimes called the tent of meeting. And it moved around with with the children of Israel through the wilderness. They had this tabernacle, specific instructions, how it was laid out, what was to be in that tabernacle. You know, there was this first room, you know, and it had the bread of showbread. It had the lampstands. You know, they had the, the table of incense. They had the ark in another room and so forth. And then it went from the tabernacle, being kind of a movable structure, to a temple. And remember, David wanted to build a temple? And God said, No, your, sh- your hands have shed too much blood, but your son will. Your role is to gather the supplies, and I'll, re- I'll build my house, my temple through your son Solomon. So Solomon built this, according to God's plan, this beautiful temple. But because of the sin of the people, it was destroyed when the Babylonians overtook Israel. So now they're coming, and God's wanting to rebuild them to rebuild the temple. Why? It was a place that represented him. Now, and they will rebuild, and then it'll get enhanced, At the time of of Jesus, uh, King Herod, actually, to win favor with the Jewish people, he added more to it, and we had Herod's temple as as an enhanced temple. Some people call this Zerubbabel's temple. Why was it so important to have a temple, though? First of all, it showed people the importance of God, a place of worship, a place where they would bring their offerings to the Lord, a, a place of giving, it was a place where um, they, they just felt the presence of God. So that was the Old Testament. And now remember there was this place, the Holy of Holies, and in between that and the, the, uh, the holy place, the first room, was this veil, right? The veil was a separation. Only one person was ever allowed to go past that veil one time a year, and that was the high priest. But remember what happened when the day Jesus died on that cross? The veil was ripped. Very, very important that it happened from top to bottom, showing it was God that ripped that. It was like God was saying, open house. I'm no longer going to be limited to a a building. What happened 50 days later after his resurrection? The day of Pentecost. The filling of the the early church with the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about us? We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a nice building, right? I'm glad that it's air-conditioned. I'm glad that we have comfortable seats we can be inside here. Sometimes people refer to this as the church. Is this really the church? No. Look around. You're the church. This is better described as a place that the church meets. And today, we don't have to go to a particular place for the presence of God. We take God wherever we go because He lives in us. That was a fulfillment on the day of Pentecost where it says, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters. It was for men and women, for all people who followed Jesus Christ. Jesus, one, made it possible. So we are truly, as it says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as we see in the Old Testament where God is building a, a building, a house, a temple, it's really shadows of, of Him building us. So think of yourself today as the temple. Okay? Am, am, are you tra- tracking with me? That the things in the Old Testament are really like a shadow of what's to happen in the New Testament. So if you, don't, if you miss that, you're going to read these stories and you're going to say, I don't know what this means to me. It just seems like a bunch of history. There's no real connection. Oh, it's all connected. And you will find Jesus in every one of these stories somewhere, and you're going to see a very clear picture of Jesus in chapter 6 as we get there. So let's start. I I just want to put this verse up before we even get into uh, Zechariah, and that's Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. There's an important aspect in that verse, and that is, unless the Lord does this. We can be really busy building. We can be really busy guarding, but you take God out of the picture, it's not going to really happen, right? It's going to be missing something, very, very important. So that's what we're going to see in tonight's story. So you're there in Zechariah chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. Then the angel who talked with me, returned and woke me up. So obviously he had these earlier visions. He fell back to sleep. No, he's not going to get much sleep this night. And like someone awakened from sleep, and he he asked me, "What do you see?" I answered, "I see a solid gold lamp stand with a bowl on the top and seven lamps on it with seven channels, kind of picture like little tubes or whatever pipes running from this bowl into these lamps, these seven lamps." And also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. So, it's interesting. Do you kind of get a picture of what's happening here? Picture this lamp stand. It's got seven lights on it. And there's little tubes that run to it from this bowl. And this bowl is collecting... The olives from the trees, picture them kind of falling off, the oil squeezed out of them going into the bowl, and it is following these channels going into these lamps. It's like a, a lamp that's continually being filled by God versus these priests that would have to go in every day. They'd have to clean the soot out. They would have to trim the, the wicks and, and keep the, make sure that the lights stayed uh, lit inside the temple. And this is like a supernatural picture, and, and I was always meditating, and I was thinking, this, this is going to be a silly little example for you, but in my, uh, in my yard, I have something that I kind of rigged up, and uh, it's not quite this elaborate, not, but uh, you all have an air conditioner, and somewhere on the outside near your air conditioner, you have a condensation tube where the water runs out of your... Well, I've extended piping onto my condensation tube, and I have a system rigged up where I have two watering cans where the water runs from my air conditioners and fills up my watering cans. So whenever I need to water my plants, I always have water because they're constantly filled by my air conditioner. Yeah. Some of you, I just gave you an idea, and you're saying, that was worth coming to church for. And let me tell you, as somebody who uh, got my degree in agriculture... Uh, that water is probably the best water for watering plants because it hasn't doesn't have any chlorine in it. None of the treatments that's won through our water system, and so forth. It's just pure. Anyway, I don't I don't want to go into more details with that. But you understand? Well, this is a system by God on keeping these lamps lit, and uh, so He sees this. And uh, really, what God was speaking to His people about was, first of all, He's about building the temple. After it had been destroyed, and then Zachariah sees these self filling lamps, and uh, he's probably trying to understand. Now we just finished the book of Revelation, and will, here's a little test for you. Anybody remember what the lampstands? What the lamp stands stood for? We'll, we'll, we'll have to see how well I see Dave Barnes back here. We'll see how well they they uh, they paid attention. The churches, yes. Remember, the seven churches, the lampstands, they represented the church. So remember, there's these this shadow of things. Why do they represent the church? Because we're to be given off the light. The oil is the Holy Spirit representing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us through the church given off the light. Okay? But this was a physical thing that is a shadow of what it is through our lives. And so let's keep going. I asked the angel who talked with me, "What are these, my lord?" And he answered, "Do you not know what these are?" It's always kind of funny when a question's answered with a question, right? No, my lord, I answered. I replied. So he said to me, "This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It wasn't to Zechariah. Zechariah was given this word, but remember, he's a prophet, and so this is a word to Zerubbabel, who was rebuilding the temple." And, and Zechariah was going to have to give it to him. And look, here's what the word is. And you've, you've heard this many times. Now you know the context of it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. How many times have you heard that one? Now you know where it's happening. What is the significance of that? Well, I have the first point up on the screen, and you'll understand. That we are to rely, on the, rely more on the Holy Spirit and less on ourselves. Not by might, not by power. In other words, not by us going and doing our work of squeezing the olives, getting that oil, taking it into the temple, putting it into those lamps, and like all the human effort. God's saying, the rebuilding of this temple, and it hadn't been rebuilt yet. It had been started, but they were discouraged. This rebuilding isn't going to be based on your efforts. The might here referred to like the collective, like a group of people doing work together. That's representative of might. The strength represents one person working really hard. So, in other words, another way to phrase that is it's not by you all joining together, working hard, or by your own efforts. It's by the Spirit of God that this is going to happen. And I think the message for all of us is that we need to make sure that we are relying on the Holy Spirit in our own lives, that it's not about Well, you know, we just gotta pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we just gotta work extra hard. And it shouldn't be about all our human effort. And so this is part of what I I see that God's message was for Zerubbabel: is that, hey, this is going to happen through the Holy Spirit, not just you. And if you're discouraged right now, it's because you're trying to do this in your own human effort. So I just ask you tonight. What, do you, what seems impossible to you? Each of you, think of something right now that you, it's, it's, it's bothering you a little bit. Uh, you can think of it right now. It seems just impossible to you. Don't, you don't see a way out. You've worked at it. You've done this or that, and it just doesn't make sense. I don't know what's ever going to happen. Not by might. Not by power. We could extend that. Not by your own wisdom. Not by your education, not by your strong work ethic, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. What's really important important for all of us is that we partner with the Holy Spirit and we don't leave him out. That whatever seems impossible to you right now probably is, but not to God. And I know many times, I mean, you think about me and my new role here ever since September really. I've had, I've had plenty of sleepless nights. Can, can I just be honest with you? Trying to figure things out. And, I, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm trying too hard thinking this thing through with my own wisdom, my own experiences. God, this is your church. This is not mine. I can't do this. This, this has got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Am I right? And you know what? That's That's the key to anything that you and I face. It's not by our own efforts. And this is what, evidently, Zerubbabel had forgotten. He'd gotten started, and he probably was a master planner, and he probably had all these things lined up to do the temple, and it just—it all of a sudden became impossible for him. And God's having to speak this word of encouragement through this prophet. So the message to us is don't just trust in your own talents, your wisdom, your work ethic. Trust in the Holy Spirit. To work in and through you, and don't strive. I'm preaching to myself right now, Dave. <laughs> don't strive. Thrive with the Holy Spirit's wind in our sail. Amen. He can accomplish it through us. If He's called us to do it, He will accomplish it. Look at these passages of scriptures that kind of in the New Testament kind of uh, fit along with it. Galatians three three. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Now, that was a message, and if you look at the context of it, it was related to the Galatians, almost like they started their spiritual walk with Jesus in the Spirit, but now they're trying to go back to the law. They were trying to do it through their own efforts. And, and God was saying no through Paul. He's saying it's not by you following the law. It's by the Holy Spirit in you. And so that was kind of a related type of thing. And then you see in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. What do we focus on? We focus on the needs, don't we? Oh, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm focusing on this need. We can spend all of our time getting all tied up in our insides related to our need. And what's God saying? God will meet your need. According to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus, anything beyond Him? He's he's limitless. We're the limited one. And so don't get focused on your limits. Focus on His limitless. And so here's the next point for us is that God gives us what we need to finish His work. If He's called you to something, He will help you. He will give you what you need. And I know sometimes people don't step out of faith, step out in faith. They might feel this nudging of God. I don't know. I'm really getting off of my notes tonight. I hope that's okay. Uh, God, God will give them something, an idea, something He wants them to do. And then we stop, and we think, well, you know, I don't have the time for that. I don't have, I don't have the, you know, this or that. I don't know that. I don't know that I could do that. And we just stop there. Because we begin to shift and think about uh, it's all about us and what we could do and this and that. Uh, It's not about us. God loves to use imperfect people because he gets a lot more glory that way. So if he calls you to something that goes beyond you, that's the way it normally works. If he calls you to something and you can do it without God, he probably won't get any glory in it. He loves to give you things that are beyond you. And when you look back and you say, oh man, there was no way I could have done that, but God helped me out and he stepped in there and he did this and did that, your faith grows and people, people will get, give God the glory because they'll say, oh, that, that wasn't you. I know it wasn't you. They mean that as a compliment, but you might not take it that way. But Okay, let's go on. Verse 7, what are you, mighty mountain? Uh, that that's kind of related to the mountain of rubble around the, the temple there. It was like Their focus was like all the building materials that were all like a rubble, a mountain of it. And they're like, what are we going to do all this to do? He said, what are you, mighty, mo- mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In other words, you get it all, and you'll put it all in place, you'll use it, and that area of all that rubble will be like a level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone. That would be the very end part, the top part of the temple, to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. So he started, it was probably already started at this time. He he laid the foundation and his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who dares despise the day of small things? We've heard that one a lot before, haven't we? Now, you know the context of that. Don't despise the the day of small beginnings. Probably in this particular time, they were like thinking, oh, man, we started this thing. We got started. We just, no way we can finish it. We're just, it's so beyond us. And he's saying here, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. That seven um, eyes of the Lord just means his uh, complete, all-knowing. We we read about that even in the book of Revelation. Don't think of it so much like literal eyes. It just means completeness, perfection, that he knows everything, that God knows this is going to happen, that Zerubbabel will finish the temple. That's why he talked about he will see and the earth will rejoice when they see him with that capstone. It's almost like that last stone, putting it in place. So God's really giving them an encouragement not to quit. You will finish it. Don't despise the day when you started it. And when this is completed, all people will know it was God who did it. No glory to man. And just remember, who's the temple today? We are. He's doing his work in us. Don't be discouraged. Don't look at that. Oh, man, I got so far to grow. Look at where you... Instead of sometimes always looking at how far we have yet to go, look. have, have you grown since you started your walk with Jesus? Have anything changed? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Let God do his work. I, I love this verse that you see up on the screen, Philippians one six, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you... Will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. My wife and I joke sometimes because she's a she uh, is a master of a to do to do list. <laughs> she's always got multiple page to do lists, and I always kid her about having her to do list everything all done. And she says, "Nope, the day that the to do list will be finished will probably be the day that the Lord takes her home." Okay. Uh, either that or she's going to be, if it's during the rapture, she's going to be telling the Lord, wait a minute, I I got a couple more things I got to do, get on that list, get them finished and so forth. But it's like, he's going to complete the work. You know when it's completed? The day of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So we see this, uh, another point on the screen, be encouraged. God is building his great work in and through us. He doesn't just want to work through you. He wants to work in us and through us. We're that pass through where God is working in us and working through us. And he will finish it. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Then I asked the angel, What are these two olive trees on the right and to the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, What are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? he's trying to figure this whole thing out and he replied do you not know what these are (laughs) same question again no my lord i said so he said these are the two who are anointed to serve the lord of all the earth now does that sound very familiar to anybody this whole prophecy about the lampstand the pipes the the uh, olive trees next to it if you were here in the book of revelation we went through that same thing was mentioned in revelation chapter 11 And we talked in there about the two um, witnesses, the two people. And in that time, I think I taught chapter 11. I'm not 100% sure. I've taught it before in other settings. We think that probably those two witnesses mentioned in the tribulation of the the, uh, prophecy there would have been Elijah and Moses, representing the law and the prophets. But here, it's different. It's likely mentioning... The two main leaders at that time, Zerubbabel as the civic leader and Joshua as the religious leader, the the, uh, high priest at that time. So those were probably the two anointed ones uh, and and so forth. And so um, now um, let's move on. Chapter five. I looked again and there before me was a flying scroll. He asked me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll, 20 cubits long and 10 cubits wide. Now, that might not mean much to us, the cubits, but essentially that's 30 feet long by 15 feet wide, 30 by 15. That's actually the same dimensions as the holy place inside the temple or at the porch of the temple. And it says that the scroll scroll was open. In other words, it wasn't rolled up. It was completely unrolled, and you're going to be able to read it on both sides. So this flying scroll, this this unraveled scroll, 30 by 15 is flying. Best thing I could describe it is you've all been to the beach or sporting events where the plane's pulling this big banner behind it, okay? Picture that. That's like what it is. The Lord's bringing this big banner across, and and he's able to see both sides of it. So look at verse 3. Then he said to me, this is the curse that's going out over the whole land. For according to what is, it says on one side, every thief will be banished, and according to what it says on the other, everyone who swears falsely will be banished. The Lord Almighty declares, I will send it out, and I will enter the house of the thief and the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name, and it will remain in that house house and destroy it completely both its timbers and its stones the best thing i can describe here it's a little bit complicated what is this talking about first of all uh it talks about a curse sin brings a curse it happened right away in genesis chapter 3 the day that adam and eve sinned a curse came on the earth um this earth is under a curse Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, according to the book of Galatians, uh, we're not under a curse because Jesus died for us to remove that penalty of the curse over our lives and and so forth. But the earth is still cursed, and people without Jesus are still cursed. This is highlighting a curse related to sins. And two particular sins are highlighted. Now, I want us to think about, if you were going to highlight two sins today, what would you highlight? Now, nobody shout them out. But I'm guessing you would probably shout out a couple sins that you don't commit. Am I right? <laughs> it's the way we all are. It's not the way it is here. Look at, There was two big ones, theft and lying. And sometimes we can categorize sins. We'd probably say, oh, I wouldn't mention those. Those aren't the big ones. Well, it was according to this big banner flying across the sky. So in other words, what was happening is these exiles were coming from Babylon, they were in Israel, and God's saying, you brought some of the sins of Babylon into uh, Israel now, into this work, and let me tell you, I don't want to tolerate this sin, and I'm, I'm highlighting that there's a message here that this sin is going to destroy you, it's going to destroy your house. So it's likely that these were the two main sins that were taking place with these exiles, but you know what? We have to be careful any sin in our lives. That's why we have a Savior, and we can go to Him when we, when we sin and repent. Look at 1 Peter four seventeen. I was trying to think of the significance of this related to building the temple, and I, I was thinking of this. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What it, be, what it showed me is that before we build God's house, this great work, God was saying there needs to be a purity, there needs to be a work done here in removing this sin. And you know where it starts? It starts the judgment starts with the house of God. Before we reach the world, we got to look at ourselves. And so you see the next point: we must be emptied before we are filled. Impurity comes before revival. You want revival? Look within. We have to look at our own lives. Are we living in pure lives? You know, but you know what that means? Is that means it's so easy to look at the sin in other people's lives, right? And this is something, and I'll just say it. Uh, there is so much of this happening today where the church, and I'm talking about the church people, expect the world to act like Christians. Don't expect them to act like Christians. Expect them to act like sinners. Because that's what they are. They need Jesus. Then Jesus begins to do his work. What we have to do is look at ourselves. And for many years I heard this saying, and you know, we've all used it like, oh, we need to uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. And then I heard somebody put a great twist on it, and I like it. It says, we need to love the sinner. And hate our own sin. So look at ourselves. You want to be filled? We need to be filled. We need that purity of repentance. Remember, nobody's perfect, including myself. So when we sin, we have to repent and we have to go before the Lord and ask him to fill us. And then we can be used by God. And that's what God was, I believe, trying to do there before they build the temple. Let's keep going. Verse 5. It gets stranger, okay? Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said, look up and see what is appearing. And I asked, what is it? He replied, it's a basket. And he added, and there, this is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. So this is the sin of the people there in Israel. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. Now, ladies, don't throw anything at me. I'm just reading what's in the scriptures, okay? And he said, this is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and put the lead cover down on it. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. And they had wings like those of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. So they took it up into the sky there. Where are they taking the basket, I asked the angel who was speaking to me. And he replied, to the country of Babylonia. Some of your translations might say Shinar. That's in Babylon. That's uh, uh, just back where these exiles had come from, Shinar. To build a house for it. And when the house is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. So what in the world is that talking about? Well, first of all, if you look at the Hebrew word for wickedness, it's actually in a feminine uh, uh, tense. So it's like a, a feminine Term, I mean, like in Spanish, they have male and, and masculine and feminine for different words. Same thing in Hebrew. So wickedness has a, as a feminine. Don't get offended, ladies, because here's the thing. God used two women to get it out of there, okay? He didn't use two men with wings. He used two women with wings to take it out of there. So it was a picture of the wickedness of these people, of these exiles. He's saying, we're going to put this in this basket, and we're going to take this evil, I think it really connects well with the flying scroll, that we need to get the sin out of the land. These exiles had brought, remember, they'd been in a a world that was completely different than Israel, very materialistic, very much a heathen country in Babylon, and they brought that into Israel. And God said, I need you to be pure. Before you build the temple, I need you to work on your own lives. And this is just like a message for all of us related to purity and repentance and so forth. What he's saying is, they are going to take this basket of wickedness, take it back to Babylon, and it will destroy that country. And it did. They were, they were destroyed. How, how many Babylonians do you know today? Okay, I'm sure you know more Jewish people than you know Babylonians. Their, their, their sin destroyed them. Okay, God protected his people. And so um, here's our next point. Before God works through us, he wants to work in us. And this is what he was doing here with these people. He was getting this sin out of their lives uh, and, and really calling them to that point of repentance okay And, and I think back to my own life, um, before I ever came on staff here as a pastor, I had moved here from Iowa, and uh, God took me through some real periods of brokenness of times where I really had to go before the Lord and get rid of some junk in my life. And I've, I've shared with you about anger before. Uh, definitely anger was one of them. And, and really pride, too. I would had a lot of accomplishments in my business careers in Iowa and things I had accomplished in life, especially at a young age. And, and I, I, I probably, I, I, had, I had pride on it. And God had to break me of that. I know He would have never used me in ministry if I would have brought that in. And uh, that's a whole other story. But uh, again, before God wants to use us, He wants to work in us. And and uh, you, many of you have experienced that. So now we're into chapter 6. We're not going to cover the four horse um, here. That is very similar to the four sealed judgments of Revelation 6. Uh, I think that Pastor Dave Barnes mentioned there's a lot of similarities between Zechariah and in uh, Revelation. This is one of them. But it's really a picture of these horses in verse 1 through 8, a picture of God protecting us and judging our enemies. and so, But we're going to pick it up in verse 9. The word of the Lord came to me. Take silver and gold from the exiles, Tobajiah, um, uh, uh Jedediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah, So he's taking, okay, these exiles that just came in from from Babylon, they've got all this gold and silver. So he's going to, he said, now go go get their gold and silver. Verse 11 Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of uh, uh, Zadiach. Now, let me just tell you this this is something that was never to be done. High priests or priests we never to be like kings. Actually, it was prohibited. There was cases where a priest would go in and act like a king or a king would act like a priest. And they were always judged. There was never to be this mixing. Politics were politics and, and, the, and, the, and the ministry of the Lord was separate and, and so forth. But this is unusual. What God is saying is put a crown that was reserved for only kings. Priests were never to wear a crown like, a, like what's described here. And put this crown on Joshua, who was the high priest. Right away, that would have been like, whoa, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Remember, that this is the word of the Lord coming. We'll, we'll get into why. And, uh, and so, in uh, verse 12, tell him this is what the Lord says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. What is this a picture of? Come on, students of the word. The branch. Anybody know who the branch is? Jesus. Jesus. Six times in the Old Testament, the word branch is in capital letters, capital B-R-A-N-C-H, branch, symbolizing the Messiah, symbolizing Jesus. And here's a neat little thing I just found in my study. If you, if you go look for all those six places in the Old Testament about the branch, this is one of them. One of them, it's related to the branch as king, one of it as servant, one of it as man, and one of it as God. Now, does that ring a bell to anybody? The four Gospels all highlight a different aspect of Jesus' life. Matthew highlights about Jesus as king, book of Uh, Mark as a servant, Luke as man, and John that we're going through as God. So the four Gospels all highlight a different aspect, and in the Old Testament, it's kind of a neat little thing, you you find those four of them. In fact, right here, you, you see one of them. It says, here is the man whose name is the branch. It's symbolizing Jesus Christ. Why was this priest wearing a crown who is jesus he's our king of kings he's also our high priest according to the book of hebrews the branch here symbolizing jesus is picture of the king and the high priest isn't that cool i told you jesus is all over the old testament this is one of those cases it's undeniable it's referring to jesus and i'm just thinking of uh, matthew 16 you see this up on the screen His dialogue with Peter, he says, "Uh, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, not necessarily on Peter, but on his confession, don't ever get that mixed up. Okay, he wasn't the first pope, okay? He wasn't we don't build a church on Peter, but on the confession that he is Jesus, the Son of the Living God. That confession on this rock, who will build the church? Jesus will build it. The branch will build it. The high priest and king will build. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And, and don't, when you picture gates, you all know in the Old Testament, the gates of the city were an important place. That's where all the, the uh, judges would, would get together and they would make their judgments. It was, a, it was a place of authority and ruling would take place from these gates of the cities. And so right here, the gates of the authorities of hell will not overcome the church. None, none of you have shopped at Montgomery Wards lately. Okay? <laughs> It came and gone. How about Sears? Kmart? Oh, man, we used to go to Kmart all the time. Someday there won't be a Walmart, won't be an Amazon, but I guarantee you there'll be a church. Gates of hell will not defeat the church. And every place in this world where Satan has tried to stomp it out, it thrives and grows. So don't you worry about the church. It's his church. He will build it. His house. Verse 13. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord. He's talking about this, uh, uh, the branch. And he will be clothed with majesty, will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. Again, priests did not sit on thrones. This is a special picture of Jesus. Thrones were for kings, priests had a different role. And there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to... And you see the the guys who I can't pronounce their names... Except they add another guy, Han. How would you like to have that name? Hen. Anyway, I don't, I'll avoid going. Son of Zephaniah, as a memorial to the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Here's our last point. Jesus, our high priest and king is using us to build his church his house where do we see this we see it throughout the scriptures but i found one great last verse we're going to look at in first peter chapter 2 look at verse 4 and 5 on the screen as you come to him the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by god and precious to him you also so we're like, like Jesus is that living stone. He was the one rejected. He was chosen by God. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did that get you excited? That God is using you as living stones to build his house? his spiritual house. Do you you see yourself um, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? I believe you're doing it tonight. All of you here in person taking time out of your busy schedules to study God's Word, it's a sacrifice. Even those of you that are online and watching, you could be doing other stuff. I'm sure there's things on TV that you could uh, rot your mind with. But uh, uh, (laughs) we're, we're, We're all here. We're studying God's Word. And there's many ways through our serving, through our worship, through our giving, through our evangelism, whatever it might be. That's our our spiritual sacrifices, giving to the Lord, building his kingdom. We're his living stones. We're that house, that temple. And never forget that. You're here on purpose. You've been given a great mission. Don't waste your life. Invest it don't do this on your own, not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Some interesting visions here, but Lord, thank you for your illumination and and just showing us uh, what you were talking about and how they relate to our own lives. Lord, help us to not to stop trying to use and accomplish the flesh, to accomplish what you want us to do through faith, through your spirit. Help us not to help us to stop striving and getting frustrated because we're trying to accomplish your work in our own strength. Lord, I just pray that you would encourage each and every one of us that if you've called us to something, you will do the work through us. It's a partnership with you. Just like you use Aruvable. He couldn't sit back and just watch you do all the work. You did the work, but you did it through him. You accomplished that temple being rebuilt, and you're doing it through us. So help us, Lord, to say yes to whatever you're calling us to. I pray, Lord, that you would would help us to make sure that we as your vessel are pure. If there's sins in our life that we need to repent of, Lord God, just convict us. Show us what those are. And help us to repent. Give us the strength to say no to Satan and his temptations and yes to you. Help us to be a cleansed vessel so that your Holy Spirit can fill us and use us. That we can use our life for your purpose. And Lord, we are so very thankful that you are our King and our High Priest. And I pray if there's anyone listening to this message tonight who doesn't have you as King and High Priest... They're not your followers yet. I pray that tonight would be the night that they would say yes to you, that they would commit their life fully to you, stop living for themselves and saying yes to you. And if that's you tonight, let me just lead you in a simple prayer. It's about the meaning of it in your heart. Jesus, I know you came to this earth to die for my sins, that you rose from the dead please forgive me of all my sins I want to follow you from this day forward I put my faith and trust in you send your Holy Spirit to live in me in Jesus name I pray